heaven, we thank you that these are your words. They come from you. They're very, very important. They're life-changing. Even as Steve has found out, changed his life. Thank you for the faithful prayers of Jim and Terry and Carol. Encourage us. We all have people, our ones, those people we want to come to Christ. We've prayed for for years. May they come to know you. May we continue to pray for them. Now guide us. That we might be wise men and women. Might be wise guides. As we look at the book of Proverbs. In Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Well we are going to start in the book of Proverbs today. So you might want to turn there. And we'll get, get going on that. Obviously unless we uh, take really long time, we probably won't get through the whole book of Proverbs. Um, I was thinking this morning as I was praying and thinking through things that maybe, well, maybe we'll just keep doing it. Maybe by Mother's Day we'll get to Proverbs 31, right? <laughs> That'd be quite a long journey, but uh, it's going to be fun to look at this book and to go through it and to be a part of what God wants to do. First of all, I want to also, I want to thank Don Worthington and Bill Carson and uh, Doug Laurie for preaching for me the last three Sundays. Very, very much appreciate the great work they did, the great sermons they brought, the outstanding sermons. And hopefully you've been outstanding too in applying what they said, right? So that's what we want to have happen as we share the Word of God and we uh, look at what God has done in our lives. So, so grateful for that. So thank you. Also want to follow up with what Pastor Simon said about everybody who helped yesterday. Man, what a great day. Um, when I arrived at 8 o'clock, there were about 7,000 busy ants out here. <laughs> I've never seen that many guys here on Saturday. So uh, I know they had 32 for breakfast, I think Hank said. And just to see you guys scurrying around and putting up those walls, some of you might not even notice this morning. You go, what are they talking about, right? <laughs> did, did everybody notice? I'm not going to ask you if anybody didn't, okay? I don't want to embarrass you, but uh, it looks pretty good out here, right? And it's going to go up a little bit more. Man, what great work you guys did. Thank you so much for that. For the ladies from the Breans class, y'all helped us with the, the breakfast. Y'all helped us with putting together the lunchtime. So much appreciate that. And then everybody that helped with the Dorothy Bjork service yesterday and the cookies you brought, uh, those serving, set up, clean up, attending. Thank you so much, man. That's, yeah. <laughs> So thank you. And I need to tell you this, too, because I haven't told you this in three weeks. I love you. <laughs> so glad to be able to be a part of what God's doing here at Majestic. And your service, even yesterday, just, just warmed my heart. The way you just went out of your way. The youth going on the mission trip coming up. we got the Juarez trip coming up in a few weeks. Just exciting to be a part of what God's doing. Amen? Because love has come down. Jesus Christ has come down, and we're so thankful for that and what he's doing. So I want to share with you maybe some interesting wisdom quotes. Uh, you know, I just kind of Googled interesting wisdom quotes, and this is what comes up. I could have given you about three million of them, but uh, we'll only give you a few. Um, let's see. God helps them who helps themselves. Oh, with the, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, follow your heart. No matter what anyone tells you, your instincts are always right. <laughs> you should laugh at that one, I think, a little bit, right? 
Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, oh, you know this one. Cleanliness is next to. Yeah, that's in the Bible. Right there, right there. Right, okay. Uh, who wrote this one? To thine own self be true. I think I heard somebody going, shake, 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 shake. They just were a little bit scared to go Shakespeare, right? Okay. Uh, Aristotle said, knowing yourself is the beginning of wisdom. Albert Einstein said, any fool can know. The point is to understand. Socrates said, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. But then he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Confucius say, by three methods, we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is easiest. Third, by experience, which is the bitterest. Um, a gentleman said this, Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I'm changing myself. <laughs> Got that's pretty good. Uh, somebody might be able to identify this one. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going at your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Oh, yeah, that's for Julia back there and all you Lord of the Rings people, right? <laughs> Angry people are not always wise. And we can go with that one, huh? Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice. Turn your wounds into wisdom. Oprah Winfrey. Jonathan Swift say, may you live every day of your life. Think about that one. May you live every day of your life. And Isaac Osmus said, The saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. Boy, isn't that true around us? So where do we get wisdom? We talked about it in the book of Proverbs. Yes, we can examine our, li our lives, and yes, we can know ourselves, and yes, we can follow these things and put these things into practice. And we can get it from experience. But uh, I know in myself, and you're probably with me, I know in myself that yes, there dwells wisdom, but there also dwells foolishness. Anybody with me? <laughs> okay, three of you are. Okay, three honest people, right? We know in ourselves there, there, is, there is wisdom. God has given us some good things in our life. But we also know that within us, in our heart, there's foolishness. So we've got to find wisdom in a place where there really is wisdom so that it's full wisdom, not just a little bit of wisdom, not just a teeny bit or even a lot. It has to be full wisdom. You'll remember in the book of Daniel, you'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He seems to have a lot of those things. He seems to have this dream. And in this dream, he's trying to figure things out and so Daniel's the one who's called to be able to interpret this dream because he's shown himself to be able to do that. And as Daniel's revealed the dream in chapter 2 that comes to him, God shares with him what it is, he gives these words. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He goes to the one who has full wisdom. Not just a little bit, not just a lot, but full wisdom. And then there's this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, you'll remember Bill Carson just a few weeks ago. He said when he went to Promise Keepers in 96 in Atlanta, 
He said one of the songs that stood out to him was Knowing You. It just it, it impacted his life. It changed his life. One of the songs that Promise Keepers Band did throughout those times was a song from this verse, from 1 Timothy 1.17. It says this, Now unto God, now unto the God, now unto God eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Now unto the King eternal, unto the King invisible, Unto the King immortal, the only wise God. That was the song that through the promise keepers just impacted my life. And there Paul is saying to Timothy, this is who God is. This is who we worship. The only wise God. There is only one wise God. Amen? (laughs) There's lots of gods. And there's lots of wisdom out there. Lots of people have talked about it. but, But wisdom that we need only comes from that one God who is immortal, who is invisible, who is eternal. That is who he is. Now, we, we know that Solomon wrote the Proverbs, right? I mean, you can turn right there. You're probably right there in your tablet or your phone or your Bible. Uh, it, the Proverbs of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And, and why? To, to know wisdom. This is why we've put these together. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, things that have come, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity. And he goes on, and we'll cover more of that in the weeks to come. Now, you probably remember that Solomon had this great experience with God. God came to him in a dream, First Kings chapter 3. God came to him, and basically I could read the passage, but I'll just kind of summarize. God came to him and said... What would you like to have? What would you like for me to give you? And Solomon praises God and he praises him and he honors him and and says who he is. And then he gets to this point in this passage and he says, Give your servant a discerning mind that I can know between good and evil. And God reflects back on that and, and moves and God says to him, Guess what? What? Yeah, you got it. All right. You got it. That's a noble, that's a noble request. That's the kind of request I want. Now, now he got other things with it. He got riches and honor and that sort of thing. But the most important thing is he got what he asked for, and that's because he asked for something that was the best he could ask for. Give me a discerning mind. Give me wisdom. I want to be able to govern this people, this large group of people. I want to govern them well. I want to relate well to them. I want to honor them, and I want to honor you. Now, we know as we look at the book of Proverbs that Solomon didn't write all the Proverbs. Right? You know that? You you know that. Of course you know that. He didn't write them all. Not all 31 of them. Not 31 chapters of them. We can go to chapter 25, and it says, These also are the problems of Solomon, which men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. He had given them, he had put them out there, and some men copied them and put them into here, into what we have in the canon of Scripture. In chapter 30, it says this, The words of Agar, son of Jacob, the oracle. This belongs to him. Not, not Solomon, it belongs to Hagar. And you go to chapter 31, this chapter about the excellent wife. And what does it say there? It says, The words of King Lemuel, 
an oracle that his mother taught him. He's a smart man. <laughs> he heard what his mom had to say, and then he put it down so that we could read it and so that we could pursue that as a woman. And, and certainly as men, we could pursue being godly and holy and bringing good honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think about wisdom, lots of definitions you could go out there. I simply went to the dictionary and looked up a few of those. One of the definitions is this, the quality of having experience, knowledge, or good judgment. That works. It follows up with that, adds to that. It says the soundness of an action or decision with regard to experience, knowledge, or good judgment. I think that, that hits it even better, right? It's not just having experience, knowledge, or good judgment. It's applying it, putting it into practice, making good decisions based on what you know. Another definition says an element or personal character that enables one to determine the wise from the unwise. Well, we know in today's society, there are a lot of people that think this is wise. And we know that there are people that think this is wise. And we know there are people that think this is wise. How do we determine that? There's got to be a standard to be able to determine what is wise and what God wants us to do and put into practice. Well, it says in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, These Proverbs are written to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To, I think he put it this way, to live with godly purpose, to live with godly intent. One author says, Proverbs was originally written to train young men, giving them the wisdom to follow righteous path, living in right relationship with God. As I studied this passage many years ago, uh, when I was directing a college career class up in my home church in, in Denver, which today is their last service after all these years. Today is their last service at First Christian Church, Inglewood Bible Church, where I grew up. Just have to close down. Just only have 15, 20 people coming. How difficult that is. Um, impactful church for me. Impactful church for me. And people that were ministered to me. When I studied it many years ago, this is what I came up with. I'm sure I got it from other people too. Skill or expertise in godly living. That's what wisdom is. That's what Solomon wants to get across to the young men, to the people that he's writing to, to the ones he's training. I want to help you be skilled. I want you to be an expert. Not just good. I want you to be an expert in godly now, just to get by, not to be mediocre, not to kind of give it just a little bit of touch, you know. I want you to jump all in. I want you to dive in. And I want you to be skilled at this. I want you to be an expert in honoring God and living for Him. Now, as I was thinking through the book, how to give an introduction, a lot of different ways to go, of course. But I, I, I Googled again. I Googled and got on there and I said, you know, uh, well, most well-known verses in Proverbs favorite verses in Proverbs. And some of these are mine, but I kind of took from that list. I didn't put them all down, but, but I'm going to give them to you here. You'll notice in verse chapter 1, verse 7, this is probably the theme of the book. It's also recorded in chapter 9, verse 10. Almost the same words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the theme. That's what he's getting to. I want you to understand this. I want you to have this fear of this Lord. 
this honoring of Him, this reverence for Him, this awe for Him. And in that, you will find wisdom. You'll be an expert at godly living. Now, interesting, this is found in Psalm chapter 111.10 too. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. It's found in Job 28.28. 28. And He said to a man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Interesting. This is the steam that Solomon has. Quite possibly, maybe, he borrowed it and saw it in the Psalms. He might have seen it in Job. He had heard it, oral tradition, putting it together for him. Somehow it's come together for him, and he sees how important this is, that this is kind of the theme. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, you probably could help me out with this one. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight. I know we've memorized in different versions, right? I know Dave, Dave Payline, that's, that's his life verse. Anybody else use that as life verse? A couple others, yeah? Man, what a great verse. What a great verse. To trust in the Lord. Put your trust here. Put your center here. Put your priority here. Put your focus right here. Don't lean on your own understanding, right? Yeah, we got a little bit of good understanding, right? We also got a little foolishness bound up in our heart. We know that. Jeremiah chapter 17, right? The heart is deceitful above all else. We know that, and we know that's a part of us. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and this is what He'll do for you. He'll move these ways. Direct paths so you don't swerve to the right or to the left, all right? Stay right there. That's what he wants to do for you. I love Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Back in 1988, maybe 89, uh, when I was a youth pastor at Foodles Bible Church in Littleton, uh, we used to go on attacks. We didn't go on retreats. We went on attacks. <laughs> We're going to move forward with Jesus Christ. And so one year we did a heart attack. <laughs> we talked about the heart. And Alicia, part of her specialty as a nurse, we talked about the heart and, and how it impacts us. We use this verse as a theme toward that. Above all else, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Life comes from it. It is so important that we guard our hearts. Chapter 6, verse 6. Some of these I didn't put everything up there for you. But chapter 6, verse 6, you probably know this, you probably heard this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. I'm watching you guys out there yesterday, it's like a bunch of ants. <laughs> There are a lot of people that were a lot taller than ants out there, all right? Okay? But it was just so exciting to see when I pulled up and to see so many of you just going around and getting things together, getting your machinery together and your tools together and putting the wood out. Man, you guys just did such a good job. And, and, and you epitomize what it says here. Be a hard worker as you go through that, that picture that Solomon develops for us. And then you... Go on in that same chapter, probably read this before. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to Him. He kind of sounds like a preacher there. 
Just one more point, right? Just one more point. There's six things God hates, but let me think of another one too, right? These things, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. God hates those things. But he loves those things, turn then those into the opposite. He loves the opposite of those things, that we would be people of truth, that, that we'd be people of humility, that we would be people who would be uniters, coming together, the opposite that is there. Chapter 11, verse 30, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. It's translated different ways as you look through in the versions that are there, but that's the King James Version as I heard it growing up as we talked about seeing people come to know Jesus Christ, helping them to understand who Jesus is and coming into relationships like Steve did and the ones that are going to get baptized in a couple weeks. They, they've come to know Jesus Christ that, that we would win souls and it could be translated different ways. But as I recall it growing up in my years, we translated it that way from the King James. And then 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Man says, this is the way I need to go. This is what it is, but this is where it'll end. It ends in death. It ends in separation from God. It, it isn't God's way. It isn't the person who's skilled or expertise in godly living. It is somebody who chooses to go their own way. This is what I'm going to do. It looks good, but he says, that's not the way to go. And then 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation. Yeah, righteousness exalts a nation. Oh, that our nation would come to understand that, to live right in God's way. The difference that could make among us in our world, our challenges that are before us, we would follow that, what God could do in our world and in our lives. He goes on to say, but sin is a reproach to any person. Going on, another favorite verse, a gentle answer. Turns away what? Wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up what? Anger. Anybody ever experienced that? <laughs> yeah? Me too? Yeah, I've had a few angry words in my lifetime. And we see the result of that. But we've also seen in our lives, we've seen where we did give a gentle answer. And a soft answer. And what it did to diffuse a situation. Good practice. Good thoughts. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Yeah. How about this? We know this. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Or verse 16, it follows up with that. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've all experienced that one. I could raise my hand many times on that one, right? What happens when we get proud and some, we get to scratch our head out here because <laughs> we got a big head? <laughs> and what happens when we do that? A friend loves at all times, 1717. Might know that one. And a brother's born for adversity. I need to study that verse a little bit more. I've got to understand that one. But a friend loves at all times that we could do that in our relationships with one another. 1821, for this one, death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
what we say. Our words are important. That was communicated in Dorothy's service yesterday, one of the granddaughters. Words are important. And they bring life to people, but they can also push them down. And they can be so destructive. And we all know that. We've all offered the good words, the words that help people and bring life to them and encourage them. But we've all taken those words and we've used them in destructive ways sometimes. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 22.6, might be able to quote this one. Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Many of you have claimed that promise over and over and over with your kids and your grandkids and friends around you. 22.7, the next verse. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is, is the slave of the lender. We've used that many times in our Financial Peace University classes. And times we talk about stewardship, to, to be careful. Be careful about how you handle your finances and, and don't put yourself to be that slave to the lender. You sometimes, you know, a house, we understand that. Most of us don't have, you know, $350,000 of cash just sitting around, right? To be able to pay that thing off. We understand that, but, but it's the excess to that, to be careful with that and to be good stewards. And you know this one, 2717. 1717 is a friend loves at all times, 2717. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. So one woman sharpens another. One student sharpens another as, as they follow Christ, as they seek to be skilled and expert in godly living. They will sharpen one another as we come together. Why discipleship is so important. Why mentoring is so important. To be involved in each other's lives, to help each other grow. That's why these small groups are so important. That's why Sunday school is so important. Hint, hint. Stay with us today at 945. Come to Sunday school if you don't. Sharpening takes place and there's you relate to one another. Get involved in Greg and Cheryl's small group that's coming up. Be a part of that. I think it works for you. And the other small groups are found in your bulletin. That's what happens as we come together and we relate with one another. From the King James, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. From Proverbs 29:18, And last one, 31:10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Go for it, ladies. Be that excellent wife. You're not perfect. We know that. Neither are we as husbands. We could apply those things too. To be skilled, to be an expert in living, godly living, so that our marriages would be strong. So let me give you some thoughts, Scott's thoughts, as I, I finish up today. As you, as you read the book of Proverbs... And I'm using, I'm using a source today. Um, I'm using my Today in the Word to give me a little bit of help with this from Moody Bible Institute. And uh, it was the uh, theme for July, Wisdom from Above, the book of Proverbs. As, as the writer writes, as this uh, professor at Moody writes, he reminds us that in, as we think about Proverbs, we need to think about principles over promises. The principles are given here. There, there aren't thus saith the Lord's in Proverbs. Okay, I'm, and I'm not saying it's not inspired. No, I'm not saying that at all. It is. It's what God wants for us. But think principles over promises. For instance, train up a child in the way he will go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Is that a promise? Some of you know by experience it's not. Is it a principle? Yes. But we know that. Does a gentle answer always turn away wrath? No. 
We wish it would. Does it have valid? Is it, is, it, is it wisdom for us? Of course it is. It's important and valuable. But, it, but these are, are principles rather than promises. God doesn't say in every case like this. These are things that Solomon, God has given to Solomon, he's given to us that will help us to be experts in godly living. And this is still God's word. I'm not at all saying it's not. This is God's word to us. He's given it to us. The author, Solomon, we know, reliable. Its purpose is reliable. And we can trust it. But there are some things in here that if we take them as promises, they're, they're, they're going to be hard to come across that way. So think principles over promises. Um, second, here's my challenge. 31 chapters, 31 days. Many of you have read it that way through the years. Now, again, I don't know how long we're going to go in this series, but I want to encourage you that you would start reading a chapter a day. I, I know most of you, you already got a reading plan. I understand that. But probably another three to four minutes probably would be good for you. I'm going to work it into my schedule too. I start reading because I haven't read it in a while. Browsed through it pretty good this last week. But I want to start reading it again and and looking at it and, and growing through it because I, I want to grow in my skill and expertise in godly living. I got a ways to go. I took something to the Lord this morning that I need to work on. And that was just one thing. <laughs> Could have been two, three, four, five, right? We, we all know those things that are there. So I want to encourage you, take on the challenge. Take on the challenge to read it each day. And maybe, well, I know it's not the first of September yet, but... Maybe you start even today so you get a little bit ahead so that when you miss a day, you can just get re-caught up. And may I encourage you, if you miss a day, can't believe you'd do that, right? <laughs> it's going to happen probably. Be all right about it. Just go on to the next chapter. Be all right about it. Lord, Lord's, that's good. He'll, he, he can forgive. Just keep working on it putting yourself there because over the course of three years it'll take us to get through it y'all have got all the chapters in by then right read a chapter a day now, I want to encourage you now as you read it mark your Bible look for the repeated themes look for the repeated words that are there I brought my Bible that I did this in years ago now, this is my student Bible. I used it for about 15 years or so. And uh, it's really, really well marked up. It's a great Bible. And I, um, I have things circled. I have things squared. Um, where it says heart, I drew a heart. I'm not a very good artist, but I can draw hearts. <laughs> uh, where it says tongue and lips, I put a T for that. Do you know that, I uh, see, I got, I got what to say. Look at this here. There are 17 times wisdom is used in chapters 1 through 9 and 22 times in chapters 10 through 31. So that would be about 39 circles of wisdom or a W for wisdom. Um, you know, I've got one, two, three, fours. I've got debt. You could put debt or you could put an F for finances. Um, the fear of the Lord, I think it's about seven times in here. 
in the book of Proverbs. He talks about the fear of the Lord. CT. Just looking at some other things I put in here. Uh, I put like 2009 Growing Kids God's Way class. We talked about it because we taught that class. Hmm. Lots of good memories right here. All dollar signs for finances. Maybe F for dollar signs for finances. Anything that helps you as you go through, that as you go through, as you keep reading in each month, you'll see these various things and you'll see verses that'll stand out. And then put down a date so that when you go back to it, it'll remind you of something that was taking place in your life to bring encouragement to you and help to do it. So I encourage you to do that. I know many of you do that already, and I'm just really glad that you do that. But take the time to do that and be a part of that. Finances, work, tongue, heart, fear the Lord, repeated words. Um, Now now this is what's going to happen to you. When you start talking about wisdom and you start about Proverbs, you're going to start noticing it in things you read. Just this week, there was something in Open Windows about wisdom. Just this week, there was something about wisdom in Daily Bread. And I'm going to refer to that in a moment. But this is what happened last night. I'm going through my chronological study Bible. It's not a one-year Bible like I've been doing, but I've been trying to read two, three, four chapters a night to be able to stay up. And I will say, um, Pastor Simon, your um, challenge to us around Easter time to read um, every day, as you gave that challenge to us a while back, challenged me. Because I've read it every day since then. I, you know, Sometimes I'll miss a day. I mean, I, I, I don't miss my prayer time. I get that in. But sometimes I didn't get in the Word. And then when he gave a challenge in one of his sermons to get into the Word and make sure it's a part of your life every day. I, I took that challenge. And, uh, well, here's what I read last night. We're in book of Isaiah. And then it's going to make a little bit of a transition, and there's a little f- big footnote. This is a really good study Bible. Here's the title. Wisdom in the Ancient Near East. <laughs> Wisdom in the Ancient Near East. Another little article. Words of the wise. And it starts in the book of Proverbs. Oh, Lord. I read that last night and just laughed. (laughs) Right when we start Proverbs, you're going to put me right in Proverbs. In this Bible, which is not day to day, I've just been reading it, like I said, chapter at a time, or two chapters, or three chapters, or four chapters. Matter of fact, I read about three or four yesterday. Isaiah 52 through 55. And you're going to put me in Proverbs while I'm in Proverbs. That's what the Lord's going to do for me. You're going to start seeing all sorts of stuff about wisdom and Proverbs all over because now your eyes are adjusted to it. They're looking for it. And it's going to be exciting. So share those things with me. Email me. That way I can use them in my sermon. I can be encouraged and we can encourage one another as we go through. But be looking for those things as you go through your day. Now, as we think about Proverbs, the book is largely defined by way of contrasts. There's a lot of contrasts in there. That's largely how Solomon is giving us his thoughts from the Lord. Chapters 1 through 9 is the contrast between good and evil. Good, 
Words that are used for that are wisdom, instruction, understanding, justice, judgment, equity, knowledge, discretion, learning, counsels. Those are all words that, that have the sense of good about them, this contrast. But then when you move into chapters 10 through 15, interestingly, almost every verse is divided by the word but, B-U-T. Not all of them, but almost all of them, these contrasts that he's developing in in, in, in giving us what God wants for us. Here's one, 14.8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but, contrast, the folly of fools is deceiving. You'll see that all the way through, especially in chapters 10 through 15. It goes on in 16.2 as I was looking at it this morning. But you'll see these things, these contrasts that are there. He's developing this. He's trying to instruct. Contrasts are a good way to be able to instruct people to mentor them. If you do this, this is what will happen. But if you do this, this is how it is. This is how I want your heart to be. But this is what we struggle with in our heart. Those types of things to look for. The other thing to recognize, especially in chapters 1 through 9, is that the Hebrew word for wisdom is feminine. Okay? The Hebrew word for wisdom is feminine. So when he writes... He personifies wisdom as a woman. Chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she personifies, because it's a woman, it's a feminine noun. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks out. What he's trying to say is, listen, listen to her, listen to her, listen to her. She's crying out. She has things for you that are really, really important so you can be skilled and expert in godly living. Listen to her. You see, because the wise woman wants to keep you from sin while the foolish woman wants you to indulge in sin. Read verse chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. That's the point he's doing. The, the wise woman is speaking. And she's saying, listen, follow me. Walk my ways. The foolish woman's doing the same thing. She's yelling out too. Go my way. Indulge in sin. Who will we listen to? Solomon wants us, obvious, to listen to wisdom. The words of wisdom personified as So, as we finish up here, do you consider yourself wise? <sighs> At times, yes, right? At times, no. 4-7, great verse. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Pursue it. Seek it with everything You've got. I was telling you that just this week, if you read your daily bread, here's how it finished up. The course of a lifetime was the name of this, this study, little study. So Eugene Peterson, uh, you know Eugene Peterson, he's the one that translated the message, wrote a number of different books as a pastor for many, many years, a teacher. But he said this, Eugene Peterson calls such a God-focused life a long obedience in the same direction. 
had a book named that too. Read that book in seminary. And love that statement. We make God our priority and we focus in on Him and He's our priority. It results in a long obedience in the same direction. That's good. That's good. But he goes on to say, the author says this, Ironically, it's such obedience that stands out in a world bent on fame, power, and self-fulfillment. And then it goes on in the application question. It said, how would you describe the direction of your life to this point? What changes might you want to ask God to help you make? And then there's a prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, help me pursue you and your wisdom for my life instead of the fleeting things seeking. Let's read it again. Dear God, help me pursue you and your wisdom for my life instead of the fleeting things I've been seeking. God, help me to seek you, the only wise your wisdom that comes from the only wise God. That's given to us in the book of Proverbs. It's given to us in the other 65 books of the Bible. We want to honor you and grow in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to finish up, Simon. You're going to give me about five more minutes here. I want to finish up with this. Um, Hopefully, maybe some wisdom to you. Next Sunday, we're going to gather together at 10 o'clock, one service. Uh, we're not going to have kids' worship next week. So this is for parents to be able to think through this. I've been asked in the past to talk about the Lord's Supper and children. And so I thought today would be a good day to be able to do that, to give you some thoughts about that. So parents, grandparents, your kids will be with you next week. Please don't use that excuse to not come. This will allow them to see the fullness of a worship service, but also the opportunity maybe to participate in the Lord's Supper. But I want to explain some things to you that I think are very, very important to you. First of all, the Lord's Supper is for believers. Okay, thank you. It is for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's one of the reasons it's called the Lord's Supper. For those who have the Lord as a part of their lives, who put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. As I think about this, and I've taken some thoughts from a pastor friend who's written some articles on this. A child, to be able to take the Lord's Supper appropriately, should be able to clearly articulate that they know Jesus as their Savior. Not just parrot what mom and dad say, but they should, they should be able to clearly articulate I know Jesus Christ because I have invited him into my life. Or, I know Jesus Christ because he's come in and, and has taken control of my life. And he's taken away my sin. He's forgiven my sin. However they articulate it, I think it's important for a child to be able to do that. Because it is for believers. 
Secondly, a, a child should be able to examine themselves, as it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Examine yourself, it says. They should be able to examine themselves and to know, is there th- are there things in my life that I need to confess before Him and I need to give to Him so that things are clean, so that, that, that fellowship is f- in full force when I take the Lord's Supper. A child should be able to understand that to be able to, to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, obviously, is a serious matter. And it says in verse 29 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, it says, you bring judgment on yourself if you take it unworthily. And I don't want any child, and this goes for adults too, of course. I wouldn't want any child, I wouldn't want any adult to bring judgment upon themselves because they took the Lord's Supper unworthily. You wouldn't want that either, would you? For yourself. I wouldn't want that for myself either. That there would be judgment of the Lord upon us. So the question is for our parents, or for our grandparents as you have your kids, if a child asks you to take part, or they want to take part in the Lord's Supper, and you know they're not a believer, you should gently tell them, not yet. And take the time at home to explain why. That is your responsibility as a parent, as a grandparent, bringing your kids. We are so glad they're here. We love them. We care for them. But that's your responsibility. It was my responsibility with my kids or with my grandkids too. To be able to share with them and just to gently say, not yet. And here is why. Because I don't want you to be in this position. It is for believers. I I know for kids... We all know this as adults and maybe teenagers. We know that the Lord's Supper, I'm I'm being just a little bit humorous here, it's not a snack. And it's a really bad-tasting snack, okay? (laughs) Just be honest, okay? (laughs) And I know it seems that way, but obviously it's not a snack. It's something to be taken really, really serious. It's not a light matter. And so if, if that's the case, just... You say, you say not yet in a lot of things. I mean, when they're 14, what do you say to them about driving? Not yet. I, I know some of you, I drove before, I was 15 too. I understand, you know, in the back roads, I understand all that. Lord, forgive me, okay? But the fact is, there are a lot of things that we say to them, not yet, and we explain why. Like you say to your daughters, you won't date until you're 25. <laughs> you see what I'm saying there? As parents, we're guiding them. We're being wise to them. We're giving them wisdom. And so if they don't know Jesus, you just simply say, not yet. And, and you don't do that on Sunday morning as you're going to get the thing. You do that preparing them so that it isn't an issue while you're sitting there. In your kindness, you said, not yet. But here's why. And so maybe that gives you an opportunity to talk to them about salvation. And in that, you don't want them to now, you know, manipulate you into a decision. Oh, yeah, I want Jesus because I want the Lord's Supper. No, that's not what we're after. It needs to be a serious, honest decision, of course. But we just simply say, not yet. It's just not time. When, when you know Jesus and you can articulate with me, you can explain it to me that we know that you know Jesus as your Savior, then the Lord's Supper is something you can participate in. 
Now, I know there can be some controversy over this, but I don't think you have to be baptized to take the Lord's Supper. I know some people do. Some people feel that way. That's fine. But I cannot find a specific command or injunction in Scripture that says you have to be baptized before you take the Lord's Supper. So that's where I'm at on, on that issue. All right? So I just can't find it. I know others do, but when, when I look at what they, how they see it, I don't see what they're seeing. So that's where I'm at on that. Okay? So, uh, child... I, I, I like kids to be over eight before they're baptized because I want them to be able to clearly articulate their salvation. I want them to clearly understand baptism. And what I found is kids younger than that, they typically can't do it well. I want them to really understand that, that they know that they know Jesus and that they understand what baptism is. It doesn't save you. The Lord's Supper doesn't save you, Right? What saves you is Jesus Christ and what he did and our placing our faith in him, believing in him, saying yes. That's what saves us. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances. They're commands from him that we participate in that say we're saved. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is important and valuable. And I want to honor him in this. I want to remember him in this. So, what I'd say is, parents, Please don't let the fact that we're going to have your kids with you next Sunday, don't let that stop you from coming. And if they don't know Jesus, don't let that stop you from being here. They need to see that. They need to see the importance and the value of it. So bring them, come, let them experience the whole of the service, and take some of these things and sit down and talk with them about it. How important that is. So, hopefully that's maybe some wisdom to you this morning. Just some of my thoughts as I thought about that as we have our kids with us for the, the whole service. I'll try to make it interesting for them too. <laughs> they can understand. They can participate in it. You know that. They're, they're good. They're, they're, kids, I'm so thankful for you. I've got some in the front row here across scattered. We're so glad you're a part of our lives. We love you. We care for you. I love hugging on you. I'm going to go to Sunday school and go hug on all of them again today. I love that opportunity. So valuable and so important. We're so thankful. We have parents, grandparents. We pray for you. Keep working hard. Take them through Proverbs. Read Proverbs with them. That would be a great project. Sit down and read that each day with them. Take the time to do that.